Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Look, I, I know folks in the church that have suffered are suffering. Oh, brother, sister, if I could, let me just lift your chin today. I know the suffering is real. I'm not saying it's not, but lift your eyes and look up and see the king. See that in the end, the king does return. See that in the end, every promise is kept. See that in the end, it is all for the glory of God and the good of his people. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Jesus warned us that the Christian walk would involve suffering, but he also gave us the book of Revelation. And today, Pastor Ricky reminds us of the encouragement that this book gives us. The day is coming when Christ will return and set everything right. Although we might feel like we're losing in life, the reality is that followers of Jesus will win in the end. As Pastor Ricky explains, we don't know what the next chapters of our lives entail, but we do know how the story ends with the victory of Christ. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Return of the King. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Remember that, that word that, that, that opened reality will close reality. That word that made mountains can unmake mountains, right? His word, as soon as it is spoken, does what it says. That's where if you read Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let this happen, and God said, let th that's the word, that's the weapon of the lamb itself. So if you look at this side of the battlefield with the beast and the dragon, you're like, oh my gosh, they have illusions, they have power, they have governments, doesn't matter. The ground they stand on was made by the word of God, and he will unmake it in a moment. Fear not. Christian. And then this line, he will rule them with a rod of iron, right? There's so many layers of Old Testament prophecy on this, which we could unpack, but that rule them with a rod of iron is a specific reference to, to being essentially the, the ruler who's unquestioned, whose rule is not kind of brittle. He's not ruling them with the rod of plastic. You leave it in the sun too long, it starts to break. Oh no. No, no, this is a rod of iron. And he will this line is terrifying. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Sometimes you try to soften the Bible up where you're just like, well, it's not, you know, it's not like there's you know, bodies under there that he's smashing and a winepress. No, that's the image. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, that I Love Lucy episode where she's like trying to smash the grapes and the other person trying to smash the grapes and the, kind of the, the, the wine is flowing out or the grape juice is flowing out and they're, you know, it's funny and everyone's laughing and she's falling in the thing and you're like, ha, 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 this is not like that. This image is an Old Testament image that the wrath of God is like the enemies of God being put under his feet and smashed. That's what this man comes to do. And verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the culminating kind of summary statement of who this, 
this figure is. He is the king over all kings. He is the Lord over all lords. There is not one square inch of all human existence over which he does not rule. There is not one square inch of all the spiritual realms that he does not own. There is no king like him. There is no king near him. There is no king on par with him. There is no king for miles and miles and miles below him. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Christian, I want you to say, I want you to feel this. I want you to say, that's my king. That is my king. Behold him there. Now listen, listen. I know I've mentioned this before, but sometimes we can have a lopsided understanding of Jesus. Sometimes we, we see, especially in the American church, the, the gentleness of Jesus to the exclusion of his ferocity. Is Jesus gentle? Yes, amen. Thank God that he is. Gentle and lowly in spirit. We can come to him. But he is also breathtakingly fierce. Right? Or, or we see Jesus with kids around him, right? The image in Sunday school, you know, we, I grew up with on the felt board is there's Jesus and there's all the kids around him. And he's just like a, you know, like a, like a Mr. Rogers figure, you know. But the problem is if that's the only picture you have in your mind of Jesus, you're like, man, there's some situations in life and in eternity that you don't need Mr. Rogers, Right? On this warfare battlefield with the beast and the dragon and, and all of his forces, you don't need Mr. Rogers in a cardigan. You need the rider on the white horse whose garments are stained with the blood of his enemies, riding at the head of, a, of countless riders that he has redeemed, and he rides to war, to ruin, and to war. Right? This is, this is the balance we need in our view of Jesus. And look, the reason I'm saying this is, is, is this. Statistically, more women than men attend church. And statistically, across America, Mother's Day is one of the highest attended church Sundays, and Father's Day, one of the lowest. What does that tell you? It tells you that on her day, mom wants everyone to go to church, and on dad's day, he's like, I'm going fishing, or whatever, you know. I don't know where you fish around here. You're going to shoot stuff in the desert. And yeah, I know you guys... Why is that? Well, I don't know all of that, but perhaps part of it is this. I think many men do not see in Jesus a king they respect and who is worthy of their allegiance. And brothers, I think there is something in the heart of every man that longs for a king to follow in a war to fight. So you guys in the armed forces are like, yup. <laughs> like, even if you're not, there is something that, that you give a boy a stick in a backyard and give him like a few hours, he's going to be fighting stuff with the stick, usually. Not every kid, but you know what I mean, like often. And boys then become men who want to fight. But, the, but, but where they go with that desire makes all the difference. Do they funnel it into video games trying to rank up in Halo or League of Legends? Do they want to bench more than all of their buddies? Do they want to cheer a football team, act like they want a game that other, they paid to watch other people win? Now, these things are not necessarily bad. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that these things are bad, but brothers, brothers, hear me, hear me. Hear the word of the Lord. You were made for more. You were made for war. You were made for a king. You were made to follow him into battle. You were made to be part of the purposes of God in your generation. That's what this is a call to. Listen, my, one of my favorite 
sections of, of the battle in the Lord of the Rings that I think shows us the appropriate response of when we see the king, what happens in our hearts. It says this, so this one warrior sees this lost king coming in the distance and it says this, then wonder took him and a great joy and he cast his sword up in the sunlight and sang as he caught it. And all eyes followed his gaze, and behold, upon the foremost ship, a great standard broke the flag of the king. Thus came Aragorn, son of Arathorn, out of the paths of the dead, borne upon a wind, and the mirth of the riders was a torrent of laughter and flashing of swords, and the joy and wonder of the city was a music of trumpets and ringing bells. But the hosts of evil were seized with bewilderment. And a black dread fell on them, knowing the tides of fate had turned against them, and their doom was at hand. When we behold the king, it does something in our hearts. We, I love the, 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 the character, Elmer, just raises his sword as soon as he sees the king. And he points, and the whole company looks and sings and rejoices. That's what we're meant to, what's meant to happen in our hearts. All right, verse, I'm in verse three. Section three, behold the victory of the king. This will be brief because it is, well, you, you may be expecting a powerful blow-by-blow blow battle. If you've ever read an, an epic like Beowulf, there's page after page after page of him getting ready to fight and then get ready to fight and then he's fighting and then he's fighting and he stops and then he fights another person and then stops and then there's just page after page of battle about he's struggling, he's straining, who can win? Grendel or Beowulf back and forth and back and forth and here you will find none of that. Instead, we read this of the battle with the false prophet. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. You're like, okay, here we go. The lines are running at each other. And the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet. It's almost as though the, the writer, the author of Revelation, John is just like, yeah, it was no fight at all. I'm just gonna skip to the end. The beast, so powerful, all the governments of the world in his hand, now powerless, now chained up. The false prophet deceiving everyone. Everyone's looking at him and following him, all of a sudden exposed, chained up. Similarly, you'll see in the battle of Armageddon with the dragon, verse 9 of chapter 20, then they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And you're like, oh man, oh man, here we go. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. I love this picture because it's almost as though the dragon you know, has the city surrounded and he's preparing to roar and unleash this fire onto the city. And as he pulls back to roar, he gets burned up instead, right? Fire does come down, but it ain't out of his mouth. It's aimed right at him. Look, this is no long drawn out struggle. This is where the worldview of Christianity is utterly different than sort of the yin and yang of Eastern religion or the light and dark side of the force, right? The, the two are not evenly matched. It's not as though the yin and yang go dark and light are always fighting each other and this is, you know, blah, blah, blah like this and it's just kind of cyclical and they keep fighting and hopefully good can come out on top. Or, and, and often you find in Star Wars, they'll be like, oh, this one is gonna bring balance. He wants to bring balance to the force. Uh-uh. Jesus ain't bringing balance to nothing. He's gonna wipe out evil. He's gonna destroy the darkness. That's where we're going. We're not like, oh, who's gonna win? We need balance. Nope. We ride to war. We ride to win. We ride with the king. And we see that, that in this 
ending. The, bat, the dragon and beast and prophet are all cast into what Revelation calls the lake of fire. Now I'm gonna talk more about that next week, but here I want you to just notice something absolutely key, the relationship between the devil and hell. The devil is not running around happily with a pitchfork. It's not as though devil is like kind of like a you know, corrections officer. God sends people down to jail and he pokes them with his pitchfork and laughs, ha, 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 you know. And he makes them listen to Nickelback or, you know, whatever. I'm just kidding. I'm hating on Nickelback. It's fine. Uh, he's, you know, he's poking them and you're like, oh, yeah. And you have people say things like, oh, I hope they serve beer in hell. You know, and the devil will be down there drinking with us. No. Look, man, this is the reality. The devil is utterly destroyed. And while alive, that detail is terrifying. While alive, in a sense, they're cast in the lake of fire forever. Oh, man. Th- th- this is an utter defeat for the forces of evil. Now then, okay, Summary. We've seen three things. We've seen the battlefield. We've seen the king. We've seen the clash. Now, what are we meant to do? Well, I want, I want to reiterate the call of the passage. The passage call, I think, is to take heart and fight on as you behold the return of the king. The interesting thing about J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien fought in World War I. Despite being kind of a weak dude, I mean, you're probably thinking, you look at his picture, he's an Oxford professor. Is that going to be super helpful on the battlefield? He wasn't. But he was there. He was faithful. And sadly, in World War I, his almost entire company was destroyed. He was one of the few survivors. He, 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 was, he caught trench sickness. He was mentally and physically broken. He spent the rest of the war trying to get beyond it, was never the same. And, and you read literature at the time, the Great War, as it was called, broke, in a sense, the psyche of everyone in Europe. Everybody was like, things are just going to get better and better and better, and humanity is going to get better and better and better, and all their technology and all their goodness, instead of being used for good, was used for destruction. Nobody could deal with that. And then Tolkien was still alive for World War II. So he got to live through that one, live through another one, and while he was going through these things, he wrote what later became Lord of the Rings. And here's what I want to say. The Lord of the Rings is utterly honest about the darkness and evil in the world around us. It is a dark book. So if you're like, oh, I'm gonna start reading Lord of the Rings after this with my seven-year-old, maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. But there is a theme in Tolkien, again and again and again, that as the defenders fight heroically and are about to lose, the sun rises, the cavalry comes, and they are saved. Happens in the second book. Happens here again in the third book. At the last moment, the sun rises. Literally, the king comes with the dawn and saves everyone. And Tolkien's worldview was ultimately optimistic. Why? Well, I don't know exactly why, but I think I know. I think it's because he knew the end of the story of the Bible. He knew that despite all he'd seen in World War I and World War II, and, and he knew that war would continue until the end, he believed that the king would return. What does that do for us? It does two things. First, it calls us to take heart. Look, Jesus said in this life we would have tribulation. Look, I know folks in the church that have suffered are suffering. Oh, brother, sister, if I could, let me just lift your chin today. I know the suffering is real. I'm not saying it's not, but lift your eyes and look up and see the king. See that in the end, the king does return. See that in the end, every promise is kept. See that in the end, it is all for the glory of God and the good of his people. 
Look, the, the king will come with the dawn. And what would change if, if God appeared to you in a vision this afternoon and said, hey, I'm coming back in a week? How would you approach that week? Well, I think you'd probably be singing the whole week, right? Be like, bah, 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 bah. you know, you get into traffic and there's an accident on the freeway and you're like, no problem. Good morning, everybody. How are you? You know, Frank, the annoying office guy who's always wanting to talk to you. You're, you're just like, oh, great. You're all of a sudden like, hey, Frank, listen, I actually need to get lunch with you. And he's like, really? Oh, yeah, actually, because something important coming. I can't tell you what it is, but it's important. I'd love to talk to you about it. Okay, sounds great. Like, there was, it would change the way you live. Even your suffering, you just get up with chronic pain, which I've experienced. And you think, man, am I going to make it through another day? It changes the way you think about that day, knowing the king is on his way and will come soon. Take heart, Christian. Second, fight on. Fight on. What does fighting on look like in Scripture? Let me just summarize it this way. Fighting on first means not giving up in suffering. 2 Timothy 2 also says, suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One of the most countercultural witnesses we as Christians have in our culture is suffering well. The world has no answers or hope when it comes to cancer or loss or disability or betrayal. The world, all it offers is saying, well, define yourself as a victim. Define yourself as a sufferer. Define yourself as, a, as someone who's lost someone. Define yourself as bereaved. Define yourself as hopeless. And, and then maybe try to alleviate your suffering with this or with that or with this or with that. This, this can make it a little better. This can make it a little better. But the world has no ultimate solution for hope in the midst of suffering. But this is what Revelation offers us. It offers, to, to, to those who are suffering, it offers a glimpse of a future without suffering, which the world cannot do. It offers a glimpse of a, a future where righteousness and justice prevail, not evil. Look, if you are suffering, I do not want in any way to demean your suffering, but, but look to Christ. Look to 2 Corinthians 4, 17, where it says that, that all of our suffering is for ultimately our good and for, for the the eternal glory of God, and this suffering is working in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. Fight on. Second, fighting on means not giving up in the fight to defeat our flesh and sin. When we feel the siren song of Babylon, when the false prophet desires to draw us in and destroy us and deceive us, right, we, we fight against those things. We fight against even our flesh. We, we, we listen to 1 John and, and where it says, do not love the world or the things in the world, right? We, we, we keep fighting against lust. We keep fighting against sinful anger, keep fighting against the world's values of materialism and consumerism. Let me just give you a warning here, Christian, and, and an encouragement to fight on. The world will, will find an excuse and the false prophet will give you an excuse for anything you want to do. You can find someone, probably wearing the name tag of Christian, who tells you it's okay. Things get too hard in your marriage and you wanna just bolt. I'm not, I'm not demeaning people who are having hard times in marriages, but, but what I'm saying is, you can go and find a Bible teacher who will tell you, listen, you gotta listen to your heart, do, do your own thing. Get toxic people out of your life. Instead of walking through the hard process of trying to seek reconciliation, working on it, or, or take reconciliation, for example, right? The world will be like, yeah, just cut the toxic people out of your life. If you have a friend that wrongs you, keep a record of wrongs, bring that up to every opportunity, make sure they know that they're in debt to you. And the Bible says, no, 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 that's not how you handle things, right? This is the pull, and it doesn't feel like, well, that's not fighting. No, it is. That's warfare. That's the level we fight on. 
We fight to ground our hearts and minds in the word of God and to see clearly through his word and to fight the siren song of the world around us, fight the false teaching around us, hold fast against opposition against us. And last, fighting on looks like not giving up in the task of telling others about Jesus. Again, we do not know all the reasons Christ delays from his ascension to his return. We know one reason, very clearly, it is that the choir of people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people be gathered to him. He delays that more might be gathered in. Listen, this redefines the way you see your life. America will tell you that your life is about finding a romantic partner that you enjoy, having enough wealth to buy whatever you want so that you can go on decent vacations and having enough comfort and enough things to insulate you from the hurts and hardships of the world. And that is what America tells you life is. That's life. And the Christian looks at that and says no. The Christian looks at that and and their view of that last day and the rider on the white horse transforms everything. It transforms our hearts and minds where we say, okay, great, this is war. Every day, I'm gonna have to wake up and fight against my sin. Every day, I'm gonna have to fight to renew my mind. Every day, I'm gonna have to see who's struggling in the church and pull them back to safety from the front lines. Every day, I need to see what POWs are out there that Jesus is calling to himself that are captured by the dragon, captured by the false teacher, that I can bring the hope of the gospel to, that Jesus might set yet one more prisoner just like me free. And you look at your budget and all of a sudden it's not like, great, how much do we have for vacation? It's what can we do to advance the kingdom of God in our generation? You look at your kids and not just like, well, I hope they have good interest and win their softball league. No, when I help them understand who Jesus is and help them learn to follow Jesus, right? That's the war we're fighting. All right, we gotta end. I can talk about this all day. Line we skipped in verse 14 says this, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I want you to see the two battle lines, see the dragon, see his people, see all those arrayed here, and then see on this side, Christ, and the question that hangs over Revelation 19, how can any of us be on the side of Christ? Because here's the reality, any of us who've sinned, any of us who've fallen, any of us who have, have, in a sense, soiled our garments, we're all over here. We've all, with our actions or words at one time or another, and many times, repeatedly, said, we reject your rule, God, we're gonna do our own thing. So how can it be that anybody is on the side of Christ? Oh, church, remember the lamb. He is a warrior, but he is also a lamb. He gave himself as an offering for the sin of his people that they might be washed and cleansed and justified and purified. And here is the amazing thing. Anyone at any time can go from this side to this side by confessing they believe who Jesus is and repenting of their sins. Look, this is an invitation to you. This is an invitation. It's not as though you gotta go do a thousand good deeds and come back and see us at the church. We'll check your card and then let you into the sight of the lamb. Today, right now, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. 
Pastor Ricky will continue teaching through this series in Revelation next time. We hope you'll join us then. If you're wanting to hear more messages from this series, go to betternewsradio.com and click on the radio tab. You'll also find access to the podcast there as well. What are some of the takeaways from Revelation that you've heard so far? How do you think it all applies to the here and now of today? Although Revelation was written centuries ago, it's still referring to things that are yet to come in the future. This should give you a hope for the God who comes to save. For those who don't have a relationship with God, the book of Revelation should put an urgency in your heart that this world and those who reject God are going to be judged. But there's so much life for you to have by believing and accepting Jesus as your savior. Our hope is that these messages are drawing you closer to the one that saves. When you're at our website, we encourage you to check out Pastor Ricky's book under the book tab. It addresses some of the hard questions that you might be wrestling with as you live in a world that's kind of messed up. There's a reason and a purpose for everything that God does, and maybe this book will give you some valuable insights into the heart of God. Once again, go to betternewsradio.com to find that link to download. While our time with you for today is up, we do trust that you've been encouraged by the Word. Make sure you join us again for the next edition in Revelation with Pastor Ricky right here on Better News Radio.